Hey, and welcome to the Equippers Church Sermon of the Week. My name is John Sparrow. I'm the lead pastor here at Equippers Church, and I'm so thrilled that you've chosen to tune in. This week, we had a special guest speaker, and you got to know, as a church, we don't have random strangers stepping into our pulpit. We have friends whom we trust, and we believe carry a gift that adds value to us as a community. I believe the message you're about to hear will inspire you, encourage you, and equip you for life no matter who you are or what you find yourself doing. If you'd like to find out more about our church and ways that you could partner with us, please visit equippercc.com. God bless. All righty. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, can you give it up your worship team? Didn't they do a great job this morning? Great job. <clears throat> Man, yeah, it's been such an amazing week um, just being here with you guys. It really does feel like family and um, the privilege to be here for two Sundays is um, incredible for us because we don't usually get that fun um, to hang around for a couple of Sundays. So this is amazing. And thank you, um, John and Lene, Pat and Terry, for looking after us so well. We just, um, we just thank the world of you guys. You are just um, amazing, 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 amazing friends. Uh, Michaela, Josh, thank you so much, man, for serving so well and for looking after us. Um, and just everybody we've met, we just had such a great time, and it just feels like, I, I, I was telling the team during the week, just to walk in from the outside once in a while and have someone tell you you're awesome. It's just a really good thing. And um, <clears throat> for us to sit, come in last Sunday, we walked into the place and I just felt a sense of life, a real sense of life. There's just that God is doing something. And I, whether you feel it or not, just know that that's the case. God is doing something and you are in the middle of it. So thank you for coming to church this morning. Um, <clears throat> before I get kind of carried away, um, I'll let you know what we've got out in the um, lobby. Lobby? We'd say foyer. So <laughs> in the la- in the lobby. All right. Um, both of both of us have written books. This one is called Rebranding Worship. I I've I love worship. Um, there was a point where God just downloaded stuff overnight almost, and um, and it felt like the Matrix. You know, when you got when he, he shoved that thing in the back of his head, and then he knew kind of stuff. Well, that's that was me. I. I <laughs> I was in Denmark of all places, and he downloaded all the stuff. And all of a sudden, I um, I knew worship kung fu, and um, and I wrote it all down. And over the next three years, kind of kind of taught it, and then um, it just got written. And God has just taken this thing into amazing places. I would I would be um, honoured if you would pick that up. And Libby um, has written Journey. It's uh, there is nobody else in the world I know who has such an intimate relationship with God than my beautiful lips. And um, this is her story, her journey into that intimate relationship along the paths of worship and the songs that we've written. That comes with music, by the way, so go ahead and get that. Awesome. Well, um, John was right. It's exactly what I'm preaching on this morning. <clears throat> and, and that we come to this um, Christmas season, and, and we, all, we all know the saying, Jesus is the reason for the season. But a lot of us kind of don't know why. We just kind of say, hey, Jesus is the reason, that's right, because he was born. But actually, there was a mission that he came on for the reason that he was born. He wasn't just born so he could live, grow, and die. There actually was a point to him coming, and that's what I really want to get into today, because I just think um, when we get a real understanding of who Jesus is, then um, for Christians and non-Christians alike, everything goes up. 
All of a sudden, everything is centralized. You understand now, because a lot of people come to church and they have an understanding of kind of, they hear the saying all the time, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, praise the Father. We know Jesus, Jesus the Son, Jesus the Savior, Lord. We kind of hear all the sayings, but actually, there's a bunch of people who are in church today around the world who actually don't have an understanding of why Jesus came. What does it mean that he died 2,000 years ago? What does a guy dying on a cross 2,000 years ago have to do with me? How does he forgive my sins? And what sins? What even are my sins? When you start to look at things like that, you realize, man, there's a bunch of people who just don't understand. And so that's what I want to get into today is give you a real understanding of what Jesus did and that he really is enough. Man, uh, John said it. If if you hear nothing else today, because my time will run out, I assure you. Um, If you hear nothing else today, know this. Whatever you've done in the past, what Jesus did is enough to erase that. What Jesus did is enough to erase that. And I'm talking to Christians especially, because so many of us come into church still thinking like we need to be punished. A lot of people come to church for Christmas season but they come to a God that they grew up with maybe when they were a kid, but they don't go to church anymore because God was angry then and he's angry now. But when you understand what Jesus did, you are no, God is not angry with you anymore. Because of what Jesus did, you can boldly walk into the presence of the Father and know that you are now clean in his sight. You're not dirty. He's not angry with you. And it's, it's all because of what Jesus did. There's no other reason. Jesus really is enough. If you understand the sufficiency of Jesus, he is enough. He is actually everything you need. Everything you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need anybody else. There's only one name, one name that will cleanse everything, one name that will heal everything, one name that will empower you to do anything, one name that will give you purpose, one name that will give you destiny, and that name is Jesus. (laughs) You know what's really awesome is that... um, for a long time, when you read the Bible in the New Testament, there's, there's a portion of Scripture that says, for, for centuries in history past, this mystery was kept hidden from us. But now in these days, he's been revealed. That's to you. So for a long, long time, when you read all of the Old Testament, no, well, they all had like signs, they all had prophecies, but nobody really knew who it was. They just knew that there was a Messiah coming. And it's only the, it's the Israelites, it's only the Hebrews that thought that, hey, there's a Messiah coming and he's going to save us from the Roman Empire. That's all they thought. When you read the Old and New Testament now, because we've got the New Testament, we can see it's way bigger than that. He was coming, he was coming for a mission. So when you see the Old Testament, you realize, man, for all that time, there's been one question in our minds. Is there a God and does he love me? And Jesus answered that. Both. Is there a God and does he love me? And the answer is Jesus. Yes, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Everything you need. Man, um, I, I, I love this. This message was kept, oh no. There it is. I'm I'm going to hit you. I get it. (laughs) This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. Christ is the mystery. Um, So 
when you understand um, the Old Testament especially, you, would, you see it now in the New Testament and you think, okay, the New Testament talks a lot about Jesus. That's because he came kind of in the New Testament. And there he was. But the Old Testament points towards him the whole time. Um, when you understand that, um, you know, in the beginning there was, there was man and there was God. And Adam and Eve were great uh, with God. And there was no sin. So they were all good. And then this horrible thing called sin took over. We do bad things. As soon as we do one bad thing, we're, we're outside the room. But that's it. I'm sorry. You ever notice that like, sin never improves? It never gets better. You know, and it's really selfish. You only actually only sin for yourself. You don't steal anything for anybody else. You know, you don't watch that stuff. You, don't, you didn't eat that extra donut for anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always only for yourself. Sin, and it never gets better. As soon as you get one donut, leads to ten, right? <laughs> you, can, you can't improve yourself. And the Old Testament shows that to us. It shows us that sin is a really big problem for us. It's really severe. It's really bad. As soon as you do one, it's all over. So there's, there's no, and, and we can't save ourselves. No matter how many books you read on self-improvement, you cannot forgive yourself for those sins. You cannot cleanse yourself from those sins. You can't even rescue yourself from the consequences of those sins. That's the big one. Sure, a lot of us can, can learn to forgive ourselves, maybe. A lot of us can learn to try and put... To, turn a blind eye to that stuff and go, well, morally, who cares? But the fact is, we're stuck in the consequences of it. That's the, that's the bit we can't change. That's where we need somebody to rescue us. And that's why when you read the Old Testament, it spends the whole time pointing towards that place where Jesus is coming, saying, hey, actually, I, I do have a plan, plan in place. It's to save you from the consequences of those sins. Oh, God is so cool. He is so cool. Okay, here's the thing. Um, Jesus, the Bible says uh, really clearly he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So it's, it's not like Jesus was a last-minute rescue plan. Like God made us and then we sinned and then he went, ah, oh, no, now what am I going to do? <laughs> He's, he sinned. Uh, it was like he knew we were going to do that. I can see him before it all happened. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've run away. They've run away behind a tree. And now they're, um, they're hiding behind the tree. And he walks in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? As if he doesn't know. And then um, Adam says, ah, oh, true. What am I doing? I'm here hiding from the God that sees everything. So then he grabs Eve, says, come on, babe, let's go, and, and presents himself towards God. I'm sure in that moment, that would have been the time that they were expecting the consequences. So when I was 14, I smoked for a week. <laughs> I was bad. I was badass, man. Smoking. <clears throat> I, I, I picked up. <laughs> it would have been a whole three, you know. I was like, I, I picked up smoking. I was 14 years old. Um, and my parents had gone away for the weekend. Um, they had just left. And I was, I, I was, I was buttering some toast. Right? <laughs> I'm having toast, and I, but I'd lit up, and I placed a cigarette on, a, on an ashtray over there, and I was, yeah, I was by myself in the house. Mum and Dad had gone away, and I was eating my toast. I was getting my toast ready. While I was buttering my toast, my mum walked in the back door. <laughs> right? I'm here. The smoke is over there. She's in, she's in between us. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, crap. And then I thought, oh, no. I froze. I went, 
know what she's going to do. Fortunately, she was in such a hurry because they had forgotten something that she walked straight past it and down the hallway. I took the window, right? I grabbed the smoke. I went to run out the front door so I could throw it out. And dad walked in the front door. <laughs> right? I'm standing there with a lit cigarette. Nobody else in the house. And he says, whose is that? <clears throat> Except it sounded like, whose is that? Um, I'm in shock. Like, I'm just, I'm freaking out. I've got that feeling that Adam and Eve would have had then coming out, having been come out from the tree and uh, at naked, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I've, of course, everything in me just says, don't own up. <laughs> don't own up. So I say, I don't know. <laughs> I just found it here. <laughs> I'm like, nobody else in the house. It's like, so I turned around um, to put it out, and then I turned back around to face the very consequences that I feared. <laughs> I gave up smoking, no problem, <laughs> after that. Point is, there's that thing in us that says, whatever you do, don't tell the truth. It was irrational. I couldn't understand why I did it, because I was fearing consequences. But I needn't fear consequences from a dad that loves me. Only my dad was an angry dad. When Adam and Eve came out from, from behind that tree, I'm sure they went up to him and they were expecting the consequences. What, otherwise, why would they run? Why would they hide? How many of you have experienced the same thing? You come to God, you expect the consequences of the behavior that you know you've been doing throughout the week. But instead of giving punishment, he took the animal skins that they were wearing. No, he took the leaves that they were wearing off and he put animal skins around them. Even in the midst of their shame, God covered them. In the midst of your shame, God covers you. And that's just the first sign of a whole bunch throughout the Old Testament showing that God's got a plan in place because he knew that you would sin. He knew that you would mess up, but he put a plan in place. As you walk through the Old Testament, you just see sign after sign after sign. You see animal skins for Adam and Eve. You see Noah's ark. Don't you think that's a sign of somebody saving some of us? You see a ram provided for Abraham. You see water out of a rock for Moses. You see a Passover lamb. Right? We know about the Passover lamb. How many people have heard the Passover lamb story? No? Yes? Yeah? Just me? We know about the Passover lamb, but they didn't. They had no clue what it meant. The symbolism on us is like wasted. (laughs) But they had no clue. When, when Moses came in and said, hey, I want to kill a lamb and I want you to put its blood all over your door. I'm sure all the housewives went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you want me to put what where? All of these things, the coal that, Isaiah, that, that was placed on Isaiah's lips to cleanse him, they're all signs of Jesus coming. There are signs of, of God saying, I've got a plan in place for you. He's coming. It's going to show up on your timeline way up there, but actually the work's done way back here. It's all done. It's all done. And for that reason, he can have confidence to say, hey, whatever you've done, I've got it covered. I've got it covered. So if he went through that kind of a price to pay for it to cover us, who are we to come in and say we need more punishment? Because what we're saying when we come into his presence and we say, man, I'm so guilty. I did so, much, so many things wrong. I've failed you so many times. I don't deserve your grace. What you're saying is, Jesus, what you did was not enough. 
But actually, he is enough. When somebody says to you the sufficiency of Jesus' work, his complete work, it means it was complete. It was whole. So there's this amazing passage in um, Revelation when I see it. It was, um, it's, it was Revelation 4, and it's basically this. Um, <clears throat> John is telling the story of a vision he saw, and he said, Instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, someone sitting on it. There were 24 thrones surrounding them, surrounding that throne, and 24 elders sat on it. Um, and in the center and around the throne were four living beings. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, uh, yeah, who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you were created. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. It's an amazing scene, uh, of, and John is seeing the throne room of heaven. And he's seeing the throne room of heaven, and, and on the throne is God, obviously, and around the throne are these 24 other thrones. It's some freaky stuff. But then he sees these four weird creatures, and they're all circling the throne, and they're singing this song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's no mention of us. There's, there's no, like, um, there's nobody praying to him. Lord, help me find a car park at Costco. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's praying stuff to him. Nobody's asking for anything. Because when you're really in the, in the holy presence and the glorious presence of God, there's, there's no other place for your attention to be but on him. That's how holy he is. That's how awesome he is. It, it goes on because it, it gets even freakier. And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on a throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who was worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. When you read this passage, um, I don't know how many people have read Revelation like four and five but when I first read it, I, I just I had no clue what it was talking about. I just thought, what on earth is this scroll? And why is it so important that we open it? And what has that got to do with me and my car park at Costco? <laughs> so then it says this, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as it, if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Okay, so let me try and explain what's going on. John is seeing this vision of this throne room worship. He's seeing God and everything around that is, is acknowledging that, man, he's the center of the universe. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. That's all. When you face God, that's, that's all you can say. It's the most appropriate thing we can say. Considering everything I've got in my life, nothing is, worth, no, nothing is worthy of even attention. Just holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy to receive. Right? So then what's really noticeable is the fact that in this vision, there's no us. It's just the creatures and some angels and some elders. So I'm thinking, well, where are we? 
And then in, a, in an instant, it's like John suddenly sees outside of the throne room, he sees all of mankind outside on their way to an eternity without him. Now, you know, God is beyond time. It's like he could see all of the history of mankind in one go. And he could see, man, we need to get in there. Hey, guys, can, hey, guys, hey, mankind, you know, we, we need to be in here, right? This is, this, is the, this is the ultimate place. This is where God is. This is a happy place. This is, this is all we need to do is be in here. Come on, guys. But then he realizes, hey, wait, no, we, we can't get in there because of the sin thing. We're not worthy to come into a holy presence of a holy God because of that sin. So he's saying, well, what, what can happen? How can, how can we get in there? And an angel shows up and says, it's cool. All we have to do is open the scroll and all those people can come in here. The scroll represents God's plan for redemption. All that stuff about Jesus through the Old Testament, all of it is his plan to get those people into this room. All you have to do is open the scroll and then it's done. I can see John going, oh, whew, oh, easy, cool. Guys, can we, get, can we get somebody to open the scroll? Well, it's got to be somebody worthy. I'm sure there's got to be somewhere in heaven, there's got to be someone worthy to open the scroll. These pre- angels are pretty cool. They're cool, but they're not worthy. And I, now, I'm, now I'm asking myself, well, what does worthy mean? So then he, he says, okay, surely there's got to be someone in heaven. How about someone on earth? No, definitely no, not on earth. How about someone under the earth? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> there is definitely nobody worthy. By now, John is getting desperate. He's going, what are, you, what are you telling me? Are you telling me that in all of heaven and all of earth and all under the earth, there's nobody that's able to open that scroll so my mother can get from there to here? That's my sister. That's my grandparents. That's my grandchild. Those are my, that's my family. And you're telling me that because some, no one can open that scroll, they're all going to go to hell. I want them in here with God. And so he starts to weep and weep and weep. And then an angel says, hey, 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 hey. That's okay, don't weep. Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. It's really important for you to know why he's called both. The Lion of Judah gives you that picture of, man, Jesus, the Lion, right? In heaven, he is the Lion of Judah. Judah means praise. He's full of praise. He's praiseworthy, but he's also a strong lion. He is the king. The the lion is the king of the jungle, right? He's he's the king. And And that's who he is. But the lamb was what he did. The lion is who he is. The lamb of God is what he did. Then it said, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, which is a really weird way of describing a lamb. Then I I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. Why did it have to look as if it had been slain? Because if he hadn't been slain, he would not be worthy to open that scroll. If he hadn't done what he had done, none of us would be able to come into church today. If he hadn't done what he had done, you wouldn't be able to have a quiet time with God this afternoon. Yesterday. You would go to God, and he would have to say, I'm sorry, I can't listen to you. That's why it's so important that we acknowledge that he's a lamb that had been slain. When we sing the songs and we, and we recognize, even we see the phrase, the lamb that had been slain, 
you, you can't just say the lamb because that's not, that's not who, he was, who he is. He was the lion of Judah. That's who he is. And his majesty, he could exist without us and still be the lion. But the lamb, he became a lamb and was slain for us. So every time we acknowledge the lamb, we have to acknowledge the fact that he did what he did and was slain for us. That makes sense to everybody? So then the lamb stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he looked, he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. All of those people now that were out there, every tribe, every language, every people are now able to come in because he broke that seal. And he could only break that seal because he was the land that was slain. When he left heaven, he was the Lion of Judah. When he came in, he was the land that had been slain. When he came back, he left on a mission, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Yay, he was born as a baby, but when he came back into heaven, he didn't come as the Lion, he came as the Lamb. That was slain. If you're starting to get a sense of how awesome he is, when he left heaven, he left, he left all that majesty. He left the lion of Judah back there. He came down here and became this innocent little lamb that was slaughtered for us. And if he hadn't done that, we, all of those people, people from every tribe and language and people and nation could not get into heaven, get into the presence of God where God now looks at us through that filter and sees us as clean. Man. And then I heard every creature in heaven and earth, thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. When you come to worship Jesus, worship him. He's worthy to receive glory and honor and blessing and power. He's worthy to receive all that because he did the job. He completed his mission. You know what I love about this? Again, once those people are, on, are in heaven, we don't see them receiving anything. Nobody's in there saying, oh, I finally made it in here. About that car. <laughs> Why? All we see here is, again, everybody realizing, man, you've done it. You're the one that's worthy to receive. You're worthy to receive, not us. This is not our time to ask for anything. Why? Because we've already received everything we need. We've already received. So when you come into church, you've already received. You don't come in asking for more. We don't come in immediately and ask for more. We come in and say, thank you for what you've, we've already received. The fact that we can come into your presence. Thank you, Jesus. The fact that we can now walk in happiness. The fact that we can walk in joy and peace regardless of our external circumstances. That's why we, that, when Christians get together at Christmas, it should be a really big Thanksgiving. Double the size of the one you just had. Right? Because it's G- Jesus is the reason for it. Oh, man. There are a lot of good reasons for, that you have to celebrate, but none as big as Jesus. Right? Independence Day, yeah, cool, but none, none, they're not as big as Jesus, man. And then I heard every creature in heaven and earth, under the earth and in the sea, they sang blessing and honor. It just goes on. 
It just keeps on going on because the, me- the, the oh, I can't even think of the word, the massiveness of his mission and what he accomplished is so huge that it, 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 it's worthy of two or three songs. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's not like a 20-minute worship set. Okay, done now. It's time for the word. <laughs> and the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. The Lion of Judah is who he is. The Lamb of God is what he did. In throne room worship, we've already received, and now it's time to give. Who's ready to give? Man, he is worthy to receive power and glory and honor and praise forever and ever. So beware of losing your sight of Jesus. Beware of losing your sight of of Jesus. This is for all Christians, all ministry. When you understand that he's the reason any of us can come into the presence of God, then we've got to ask the question, so for church then, Jesus should be the center of it. But it's so easy for church and Christian lives to have their lives still centered around something else and not on Jesus. It's easy for us to have church centered around the music or the worship or the, um, the, the care or the hospitality or the, the social services. It's easy for church to become about miracles. It's easy to be, for church to become about those, those people pray for he- healing and it happens. It's easy for, for you to come to church and get prayer for finances and that happen. And you think, hey, awesome, praise God. But we lose sight of Jesus in it all. It's really easy, even as Christians, to come to church, to, to celebrate with everybody, even enjoy everything that happens on a Sunday, but then go home and forget to put Jesus in the, cent- in the central spot of everything you do. That's why for us to recognize, man, Jesus needs to be in the center is so much more than just coming to church. Yeah. He actually has to be the center of everything. When you center your ministry, if anybody's in ministry, when you center your ministry, it's so easy to make it about all the trimmings and everything else and not place Jesus at the center. That's why it's so important for us to use this phrase, beware of losing sight of Jesus. Um, Oh, man, even in worship itself, it's so easy to worship worship. It's so easy to come in and say, let me see gold dust and feathers and and not even think about Jesus. I was telling the story with this one person I know who who said, "I man, I just she's into that. She she loves the experience of it, and she's she's always praying for gold dust and feathers, and and always praying for real warm, fuzzy and experiences." Um, and she was telling me about her job. She she I just I hate my job. I hate the people at my job. I just want to go home. It's like I just want to quit my job and go home and worship all day. Wait, I said, wait, you want to go and worship, but you hate people. You want to worship and get close to, the, to Jesus who has a heart for people, but you hate people. What's the point of worshiping if it doesn't lead to the heart of God and the heart of God is for people? It's got, it's got to translate into your outer life. You can't just come and kind of receive all this stuff and have a good old time, but actually not carry the heart of Jesus for someone else. This is why Jesus has got to remain central in everything we do. And when you recognize him, you have to recognize him for who he is. He's the lamb that was slain, and he is the lion of Judah. He is both Lord and Savior. So once he saved you, you have to acknowledge him as Lord. (laughs) Okay, Lord, thank you for everything you've done for me. I really appreciate that. But please don't tell me to do anything else. 
you know, I'm sure he's going to go, oh, good deal. Um, there's an incredible story when, when the disciples, when Jesus was uh, in the, he, he'd been crucified and he was, and then he'd come back to life again. And when, the, when Mary came out, of the, uh, came out of the tomb and ran back to the disciples and said, he's alive and he wants to see you. He's, he's on the mountain waiting for you. And so they all ran, ran to the mountain. When they got there, these are the guys that had been with him for three years who had seen him and they had recognized him then because they saw him do miracles, they, they, even, they even acknowledged him. Simon says, you are the Christ. So, that, so he, they knew who he was, but then when he died, it really messed them up. Now they were standing there in doubt until somebody came and said, hey, he's alive and he's on the mountain, he's waiting for you. They run out to see him, and when they saw him, all of a sudden they realized you really are who you said you were. And then they acknowledged him. And they did the only thing appropriate when you finally see Jesus in the authority that he really is, they worshipped. When they worshipped, he said, now you've recognized me and my authority and I have all authority. Now you go with that same authority and make disciples. Go into all the world. I just think there's a whole bunch of people who are wanting to go into the world and make disciples without first recognizing the authority of Christ in their own lives. That's my challenge to us this morning. If you're in ministry or you want to go out there and, and reach people, awesome. Go do that. But first, stand in here, get on your knees and recognize the authority of him, of Christ in your own lives. And start to bow down. Give yourself to him. Um, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you want to go out and do any sort of ministry, which all of you should, just as Christians, it's, you've got to lay it on the foundation that's been laid, which is Christ. It can't be about anything else. It can't be about money. It can't be about trimmings. It can't be about miracles. It can't be about power. It can't be about hospitality. It can't be about social services. It cannot be anything other than the foundation laid already, which is Christ and Christ alone. <laughs> Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Man, I want to get to heaven one day and have that fire burn me and show gold. Beware of losing your sight of Jesus. So um, Saul was persecuting the church, and then, he, uh, and then um, Jesus revealed himself to him and said, um, Dude, why are you persecuting me? I'm sure the dude was extra. <laughs> why are you persecuting me? And he says, Saul said, Who are you? He said, I'm Jesus. Hey, uh, <laughs> that moment right there. Why do you? Oh, you're Jesus. Dang, I screwed up. <laughs> What's interesting was, right, he revealed himself, he, Jesus revealed himself to Saul, Paul, and then he made him blind. He let him see him, and then he blinded him. And then for three days, he went to another city, and he sat there blind, while the, that last thing he saw, a picture of Jesus, I'm sure, was burned on his brain. For three days, they're thinking, what have I done? What have I done? 
This is a guy that knew the Old Testament. This is the guy that knew the Scriptures. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was steeped in law. He knew all the stuff. And yet Jesus had to sear his brain with a vision of Jesus so that he could go and do it again, this time putting Jesus in the center of it all. You know, we all kind of think, well, Paul then went on from there and planted all the, all the churches of the New Testament. But actually, there was 14 years before that moment and the time he presented himself to the apostles. And then he went and planted his church. You know what he did for 14 years? Went and reread the Bible. <laughs> Let me do that again with this picture of Jesus seared into my brain. And now, now all of a sudden, it's all been revealed to him. He read the Bible with the filter of Christ, and he saw all this new truth. Can't you see how easy it is for us to get into error and doctrine and theology and all kinds of stuff unless we read with the filter of Christ? He he really is the center of everything. If you don't want to be one of those churches that fall into error, then keep keep Jesus right at the center. There's an amazing story. yeah, okay, I told you that one. I'll tell you another one. Um, it, it's a, one of the stories I really love is the, is the story where Jesus took the three disciples up onto the mountain, the transfiguration, they call it. Um, when, he went, when, he, when he took them up there, um, he was just yeah, a normal-looking dude, but then all of a sudden he turned like white and glowing like an alien. So, um, and then, a, a <laughs> and then a, a cloud came down, the big glory kind of cloud, and, um, and then Moses and Elijah showed up, as they do, and, uh, <laughs> and then a voice spoke from heaven, this is my son, listen to him. That's pretty cool, kind of, pretty cool God voice, right? This is my son. So, um, for, for Peter, this kind of freaked them out. Sometimes when you're surrounded by things of the glory of God, it just it, it blows our comprehension and we say dumb stuff. And he said dumb stuff. He, he's like freaking out going, okay, Jesus is an alien. And now he's talking to Moses and Elijah. And I'm thinking, how did he know what they looked like? Because, you know, they were dead. And um, both of them actually got, well, Elijah got taken up in the Old Testament. And here he is there. He made it. Um, Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land, but clearly he made it. So there they were, Moses and Elijah. And this is starting to freak him out. And then a voice from heaven says, this is my son. By now, he's saying, uh, Jesus, this is, this is cool. This is cool, 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 And then he says, man, we should, do you want me to make some shelters? Because I can make shelters. That would be awesome, right? There's three, one, two, three, I can make some shelters. It's like, would you like a Big Mac? And would you like fries with that? You know, he's like freaking out. I can see him. (laughs) Then it says the Bible says he fell over like he was dead. And Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah, like, you know, seeing how the mission's going. Yeah, yeah, it's going all right. And then then he looks over and sees Peter like dead on the ground. I can can see Jesus going, well, you know, it's like, Yeah, like, hey, hey, guys, listen, can you just maybe back off, Father? Maybe just back off a little, because this. Let me go sort this out. So he goes over and you know, (laughs) come on, man, wake up, wake up, Um, because it's just too much. The glory of God 
too much for us to understand. So many times, when we, if we are faced with the glory of God, we say and do really dumb stuff. <laughs> okay, those of you who, 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 who didn't speak in tongues, but then you heard somebody speaking in tongues. <laughs> you were there thinking they were off their minds, right? That is crazy. There's no way. There's a bunch of people that, um, that before you became a Christian, you thought you knew everything. <laughs> I, I love talking to like um, guys that became Christians when they were older, and, and the day before, it was like science is everything. <laughs> and then they meet God, and God reveals, them to, to, he reveals himself to them, and uh, everything has changed. The whole paradigm has changed. When we, when, we are, when we are confronted with the glory of God, everything changes. It goes beyond our comprehension, beyond our ability to even handle it. To the point where he's lying like he's dead. Jesus is waking up. And it's a beautiful thing in the Bible where it says, when he woke up, he looked up and all he saw was Jesus. When you can't handle the glory of God, just look at the face of Christ. Jesus is our interface with God. He's our way of relating to God. He is God's way of relating to us. He is the way that we can understand the glory of God. He's the way that we can take the glory of God. Otherwise, it's just too far out there. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well discovered this. When she, when she, went, to meet, uh, when she went out to get water, there was Jesus standing there. He just looked like any other dude, not realizing that he was the God of the universe. And knowing, knowing who she is, and um, okay, I'm going to ask how many people know about the Samaritan woman? Yeah, cool, most of you. When she went out there, she went out in the middle of the day to get water because um, there's an assumption that because she had had five husbands that Jesus later revealed, um, you know, she was the local skank. <laughs> that, nobody, <laughs> that nobody wanted to hang out with, so she didn't go with the rest of the women at the end of the day because who wants to be hated on? But... Um, and because she had had five husbands, I'm, I'm making the assumption that she was not ugly. <laughs> None of the girls want to hang around with the good-looking good skank. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so she goes out in the middle of the day, and there's a dude waiting there who asks her for water. Hey, since the beginning of time, there's been that one good pickup line. Can I buy you a drink? <laughs> Same old line, man. Except, except Jesus flipped it around a bit. He said, hey, hey, lady, can I have a drink? <laughs> he says, hey, you wanna, can I have some of the water? Can you give me a drink of water? She says, what are you doing talking to me? She's got some attitude, I can tell. Because to him, I mean, to her, he's just another guy hitting on her. So, he's, so she says, don't you know who I am? Which is a really funny thing to say to Jesus. <laughs> don't you know who I am? She, she says, um, I'm, a, you know, I'm a Samaritan for a start. We, we, there's a big story behind why they hate each other. Uh, so you shouldn't be talking to, to me because of that. But also, I'm a woman. There's no way you should be talking to that. A Samaritan and a woman. And he says... Girl, if you knew who I was, then you would be asking me for water. 
And he says, why? She says, why? Is the water you got better than this water? This is built by Abraham. Jesus, Abraham. I'm his granddaddy's granddaddy. <laughs> so, he, so, so she says, yeah, okay. Um, he says, no, this, the water I give is way better than that water. She's, he's meeting her at a physical need. He's meeting her at the, at the place that she can understand. This is her lying on the ground, not understanding that God, God is, God's glory is way out there. There's, there's no way, if, she, if he had started at, at, at the glory level, that she would understand. Because it's just too far. There's just too much stuff going on in her life. She can't understand that. So, she's, so he says, okay, water. You want to talk about water? I'll talk about water. Sure. You know what? The water you give me, the water I got is way better than the water you get. If I give you water, you will never thirst again. That's, that's a good way. That's a good line. So she says, oh, awesome. I would love some of that water. Yeah, please. Hook me up. She, he says, okay, go, go get your husband first. Ooh, Ooh burn, the burn. <clears throat> she says, I don't have a husband. Lies. There's that defense. He says, dang straight, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five, and the one you're living with now is not even your husband. So now, she, now he snapped her out. She recognizes it and goes, oh, I see you're a prophet. <laughs> duh. <laughs> yeah, duh, duh. Oh, I see you're a prophet. And then she launches into a debate about worship. I, she, she then says, hey, yeah, my ancestors, you're a prophet. My ancestors say we're supposed to worship here. Your ancestors say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Which one is it? How did we get from husbands to worship? In fact, how did we get from water to worship? Is it, is it husbands? Is it water? Is it worship? I'm thinking, this lady has lived her whole life going through relationships looking for something she's clearly not finding. She probably went through trauma as a child. The only thing she had going for her was her looks. So instead of finding comfort in God, she finds it in the only thing she's got for her, which is her. And so she looks for it in relationships because it's the men that will give her attention. She looks for it in comfort. She looks for all that comfort. And instead of finding peace and comfort, she just finds more frustration, more anger, and it just builds up defense after defense after defense in her life. Now she walks out to this world really angry, and a guy who shows himself as a prophet says, reveals himself, and says, yeah, I can see into your life. She says, all right, I've been through all this stuff, and I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of looking for love in, in places that are just not working. I need something, and I know, because all these people are raised in church, I know that the answer is God, but it's just, I just can't understand it, because every time I look at the church, all I see is churches fighting. Your ancestors stay, say worship here, my ancestors stay worship here. Man, I, when, I, when I see people coming into church, or they look at Christians wondering, I wonder if there's an answer, and they look on the internet, and they see people just hating each other. They see Christians just hating on each other. All over worship. Man, you know how many churches are fighting over the style of worship? So stupid. Where, where is Jesus in that? Why aren't those churches just saying, hey, I don't care. I don't care what, what song we play. As long as Jesus is at the center of it, because he's the one that can heal you. It's not the music that heals. But we turn worship on its head and we've made it about ourselves instead of him. 
And when we flip that back around again, things come into place, things come into line. So this lady says, man, I can see you're a prophet. I'd love to find the answer in God, but when I, see, when I, when I, look, about, when I look to worship, all I see is this argument between my ancestors and your ancestors. Which one is it? And he says, lady, it's got nothing to do with where you worship. The Father is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth and transparency and honesty and vulnerability. Someone that will come and just open themselves up and say, here I am. I've been looking for love in all the wrong places and I'm just presenting myself to you. And not looking for someone that's going to be angry with her. And so, and so Jesus, I can see her then, because her next line is... Um, I can't understand what you're saying, but I know that there's a Messiah coming and he will explain everything. It's like I, can, I, can, I know there's life in what you're saying. I can feel it. I can sense it. I know there's something there, but I, it's just too much for me to understand. Like, like Peter, God is too far away. It's, the glory is too much. I can't understand it, but I know that there's a Messiah coming because I've read the Scriptures. And he'll explain everything. And all I want to do is meet that Messiah. And Jesus is standing right in front of her and says, Hey, you know that Messiah? It's me. The very thing she's been looking for her whole life is standing right in front of her, that whole conversation. And she hadn't recognized him because of her defenses, because of her hurt because of all that stuff that she grew up with and she didn't hand it over. I wonder for, for how many of you, Jesus has been standing right in front of you, but you can't see him because you're hurt. I wonder how many of us have been sitting in church all this time and not seeing Jesus because of our defences. And all it takes is just recognizing him, that he's right in front of you and all he's asking you to do is be open and be transparent and worship in spirit and truth. And then that same Messiah will reveal himself to you. Jesus really is our interface with God. He's our way of relating to God. He's God relating to us. He is a high priest that can understand our weaknesses. He can understand your weaknesses. He can understand everything about you. And all that's left really is, oh man, just our heart for him. There's there's a song that Brian Johnson sings that, that, that goes like this. Let my heart want for nothing but you, just you. Let my heart want for nothing but you, just you. The riches of this world would never satisfy. Let my heart want for only you. Oh, Jesus, let my heart want for only you. There's only one thing Jesus wants, and that's your heart. That God who was so far away, who made himself into a lamb that could go through this horrific mission at Christmas time and be slaughtered for you, actually only wants your heart. He went through all of that so he could reveal himself to you. He went through all of that so you could stand before him and he could reach you in intimacy. I'm going to get the guys up. Ben's going to come out. We can respond for a second because I just think this morning, heading into the Christmas couple of weeks, 
It's a good thing to really know who Jesus is, what he did, and why he did it. He, he didn't do it as, a, as a, a, an impersonal, hey, listen, we made these people, we should just save them all, I guess. He did it actually for you. Your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart. And whatever you've got going on, don't let it hinder you anymore from coming to him. If you're guilty, don't let your guilt stop you from coming to that same Jesus. If you're feeling horrible and condemned, don't let that keep you away from this Jesus that can heal you. If you've been hurt, don't let that hurt be an obstacle for you coming towards Jesus and giving your heart to him, your whole heart. He is trustworthy. You can trust him with your heart. You can trust him with everything. Can we just close our eyes for a second? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, let our hearts want for nothing but you. Lord, we want you to be the center of everything we do. We want you to be the center of Christmas for us. We want you to be the center of our church. Jesus, we want you to be the center of our homes. We want you to be the center of our lives. We acknowledge you both as the Lion of Judah, but also the Lamb that was slain. And because you are the Lamb that was slain, we give you our hearts. We surrender our lives to you. We surrender our head to you. We surrender our past to you. We surrender our self-effort to you. We give it all before you, Jesus. We recognize you for who you are. You are our Lord and our Savior. But more than anything else, Jesus, we understand that you did it so you could be intimate with us. And so we give you our hearts, our deepest hearts, our closest hearts. And in this place, as we worship you again, and we really acknowledge you and recognize your authority, we want your name to be lifted up. As we lift your name above everything else let your sovereignty rule over our lives rule over our households let every other knee bow let every other voice be silenced as we lift up Jesus well I pray that you are feeling encouraged inspired and equipped to take on whatever you may be facing in this life And hey, why don't you consider joining us? We meet every Sunday at the Clark Center in Arroyo Grande at 10 a.m. And it's always a good time. We'd love to have you with us. And for any more information, ways you can partner with us, please visit equipercc.com. God bless.